Jesus, we look to you in your baptism today. And we pray that you would help us to get from our head down into our gut. That because of what you've done, when the Father looks at us, he says the same thing he said to you. And God, I confess, I know that in my head. But often it's not in my bones. And God, for anyone here or watching online who is in the same position, Lord, help us to not just see and hear your voice over Jesus today, but help us to know that in Christ, that's how you see us. And may that change how we live every minute. As we open your holy word, I ask that you would stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. All with love, with charity, with kindness, with justice and humility, for the building up of others, and for the glory and honor of your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Those of you who can see, I brought some props today. This is a bubble mower if you don't have children. I don't know if you know this. Or I, Did anyone have one of these as a kid? I had one. It didn't look like this. These are cool, but check it out. Isn't that awesome? When I mow in the summertime, in the spring, uh, my kids will grab these and they'll follow me. I should have brought a video. We have a video of somewhere of like Grayson and Hayden following my tracks. It's really cute. Um, but this is a new version. Like they've tricked it out. It has a gas tank that I can't find. Uh, we had an older one. And Grayson saw this, um, our son who's going to be seven in a couple weeks. Uh, about a year ago, saw this and he wanted, he wanted it. And he kept asking for it and asking for it. And eventually we got it. I think as a surprise, I don't remember if it was for Christmas or his birthday, or did we just get it? Do you remember, Sherry? You don't know. We just got it for him. And uh, when he got it, he would bring it inside, and he would just say, out of, the, out of nowhere, he would just say, I can't stop looking at it. And like he wouldn't, I mean, he would take it aside, but most of the time he would just bring it inside and just look at it. And I thought it was the cutest thing. And like the next day, out of nowhere, he'd say, Daddy, I just can't stop looking at it. I love it so much. And he did that for a long time. I can't stop looking at it. Then um, they're in the monster trucks as well. And uh, this is Monster Mutt Dalmatian Galaxy for you aficionados. Like this one. And I don't know how they found out about it, but they saw it and they wanted it. It was like $3. And for months, we could not find this sucker. And anytime we were at a Target or Walmart, we would intentionally go to different ones to see if they had stock. And we, we, we couldn't find it. And then one day, I was, I think uh, I was somewhere, and I saw it. They had one. It was hidden behind like so many other ones that I got it. And they had wanted this forever. Months. And about two minutes after giving it to them, They never looked at it again. I had to go 
dig in a box this morning to find it. And he didn't do that. I can't stop looking at it with the monster truck. It just got discarded after a few minutes. I know, you never do this with stuff as adults. But with this one, I was like, man, he, he, he really liked this. And he kept saying, I can't stop looking at it. And so I'm going to put this right here for effect. There we go. I think that's a great picture of the season of epiphany. You know, we just came through Advent and the season of Christmas, and today's the first Sunday of the season of Epiphany, in case you didn't know. Happy Epiphany, I think you say that. I guess so. In this season, we have eight weeks, two months of Epiphany. And Epiphany is that season where, you know, Advent, you long and wait and prepare for the coming of Christ. Christmas, you celebrate that he's come. And then Epiphany is when you say, I can't stop looking can't stop looking at him. But sometimes we treat Jesus like a $3 monster truck. And we say, yay, you're here. And then we lose him. And I want to encourage you for the next eight weeks to take the posture Grayson had towards the, the bubble mower. You'll never forget this illustration. What an illustration. Which is, I can't stop looking. That's really the great heart of, of epiphany. Um, we don't really use that word a whole lot today, um, but it just kind of means aha. Like, you know, I had an epiphany, like this thing that was hidden and that I didn't know all of a sudden, oh, I got it. And it's like front and center. It's in the front part of my brain. And, uh, and so, aha, that's kind of what we're, we're calling um, the season of epiphany this year. Creative, just aha. Just, there's, and we're going to look at eight different epiphanies or aha moments of Jesus where something about him was revealed. And so uh, this week, the first week of epiphany, we're going to look at his baptism when he was revealed, what the Father said about him and what John the Baptist said to him. So today's title is What Two Voices say about Jesus. So turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 is where we'll be, and um, it's on the Sunday bulletin link if you, if you have that. Um, or if you want a physical Bible, there's a bunch in the back. You can pull it up on your phone. And this is a um, kind of a famous text, but um, this is John the Baptist. This is Jesus coming to be baptized. John 3. I'm sorry. Luke 3. Did I say John earlier? Or did I say Luke? I said Luke. Luke 3, but it's John the Baptist, not confusing. Verse 15, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, that was the question, John answered them saying, answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's what the voice of John the Baptist says about our Lord. Verse 18, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, 
and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked uh, that he locked up John in prison and we know eventually beheaded him. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Hear the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, a couple of things here. Again, we have John the Baptist. I've been like for a month and a half talking about John the Baptist almost every week. Um, I recently heard, I think it was Philip Jones say, you can't get to Jesus in the gospel without first going through John the Baptist. Kind of a funny thought there. And so here again, we get John the Baptist and his voice and the voice of the Father. And here's what John's voice says about Jesus. First, he says, he is mightier than I. Just think about the humility and the honesty there. We know the crowds are there wondering if he's the one. And John could have easily maybe positioned him to be the one. It's pretty fiery. I wonder if, you know, verse 15 says they questioned in their hearts. We don't know if they vocalized that. Some people say they were questioning in their hearts. John knew they were wondering, and so he just, like, answered the question for them and, and voiced it. Who knows? We're not really sure about that. But the humility of him saying, no, Jesus is my than I. In other places, um, he says, I am not the Christ. This really isn't part of the sermon, but um, I heard a pastor, Dr. Brian Loritz, um, say, every pastor should be required to quote this every morning when they wake up. Like, like what if we pastors said every morning and believed it, I am not the Christ? Because, in case you didn't know, sometimes people come to us thinking we're the Christ. Sometimes we think we're the Christ. Like somehow we can fix people. I can't fix anything. And I thought, man, that would, I think, change things in the church if those leading and those in the boardrooms actually believed with John, I'm not the Christ. There's one who's mightier than I. And you too. <laughs> like how would your life change if you actually believed when you encounter a problem or a person or a problem person? Imagine that. That you are actually not the Christ and you can't change them. You can't really change people. But sometimes, um, one of the things that I've noticed in, in, in this two years, um, which seems to be one of the most anxious times I've lived through, is as a pastor, people want to bring their anxieties to me all the time, or they want to bring their fears. And they want me to do something, with it, which is a natural thing. Like, we don't like feeling anxiety or fear, so sometimes one of our strategies as human beings is to take it and bring it somewhere. And often, that's brought to, to me. And what I've learned is my nature is to grab it and then try to do something with it, which I can't do. You know, Jesus says, cast your anxieties on him, not on your spouse or your child, or your pastor, or alcohol. 
is just cast it on him. And so one of the things I've learned in the last two years is to like, if you do come to me and you're anxious, that's totally okay. But what I will do and what I think we should do with each other is to create safe space for that and then to gently encourage you to give that anxiety to Jesus because he's the one who can actually deal with it. I'm not the Christ, you're not the Christ. And so that's not really the point of the sermon, but it comes up and I would just encourage you maybe this week, when anxiety or, or fear or problems come to you, pay attention to whether you try to be the Christ or whether you try to encourage that to go to the real Christ. Fascinating that John confesses he's mightier than I. Then he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John baptizes with water. He says, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then the last thing he says about him, which I want to highlight, is he says in verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand, separating uh, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, so Jesus, John the Baptist says, this Jesus has a winnowing fork in his hand, an agricultural metaphor, and that he's going to separate wheat from chaff. He's going to separate good crop from bad crop. Later in Matthew 25, Jesus will say he separates the, wheat, uh, the sheep from the goats. In Matthew 7, he'll say, many will come to me and say, I knew you. Or, we, Lord, Lord, we did all these things, but actually I didn't know you. And, and um, if there's... One thread, aside from the gospel message in the New Testament, it is that there are true and false prophets. There are true and false believers. There are wheat and chaff, sheep and goats, uh, people who masquerade um, like angels of light, wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, even if you go to, the, to Jude, Jesus' brother, writes a, a little letter and uh, at the, right before Revelation, and he says he, he would rather talk about the gospel, but, but there's some problems in the church, and he has to address these wolves in sheep's clothing, these waterless clouds, these trees dead at the root, these hidden reefs. And, and it, so I, I, I point this out because there's this, there's this podcast right now called um, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, probably one of the most popular podcasts in the Christian world and beyond, and it outlines that it's a, a, a spectacular failing of, of, of Mark Driscoll. Now, I'll be honest, I listened to the podcast, and I was like, I learned not much new, because I encountered this stuff 20 years ago. It just wasn't as violent. But it's been interesting to see Christians respond and really question Jesus and question the church because of it, which I totally get because that was my reaction 20 years ago. If you're in, and, and I know like our church has got, is, you know, going through a crisis of someone we thought was someone and turned out to be someone else. And it's so disconcerting, it's so disillusioning. And if I could give some encouragement, John the Baptist says, there's a winnowing fork in his hand. He will separate wheat from chaff. It's what Jesus does. It's part of the deal. He will separate sheep from goats. He will expose false teachers and false prophets in his time. And I know as a pastor, I can get easily discouraged and disillusioned when I come across a wolf in sheep's clothing or a goat 
who I thought was a sheep or whatever, however you, I'm not trying to demonize anybody. I'm just, I think we all have these stories. And it can be so disillusioning because you're like, man, can I trust the church? Can I trust Jesus? But what I would say to you is here, even before Jesus officially begins his ministry, John's voice says he's got a winnowing fork in his hand. We love the baptized with water. We name denominations after that. The Baptist. We love the baptized with the Spirit. We have denominations after that. The Assemblies of God, the Pentecost. They love, I know, I grew up there. We love the baptized with the Spirit. Some love the fire. But we often forget this Jesus who is being epiphanied to us. He also has a winnowing fork. He also will separate the true from the false. And I just want to just say to you, it's part of the deal. I know it's hard. I know it's discouraging. I know it's disillusioning. You're okay to feel that. And remember, this is the work of Jesus. Welcome to Epiphany. Then there's his baptism. And we think of the word baptize as a religious word because that's usually how we use it. But maybe you know that in the ancient world, this is a nautical term. This is a term sailors used. When a ship sunk, they would say, that ship was baptized. It was submerged. It was immersed. So now it has a religious connotation. But when you see someone baptized or when you're baptized or when we hear that Jesus baptizes in the Spirit, It's that image of sinking one's ship in Jesus. Like to be baptized is to literally, if you're going to be true to the word, baptizo, is to sink your ship in Jesus. That's what it means to be baptized. And so the the going down in water, that's the picture of it, is that your ship was sunk. But that's not the story. You don't end up like the Titanic down at the bottom of the ocean rusting forever with the occasional tourist coming to see you in a submarine. No, you, you get brought out and you have a new life. You're not just buried with him, but there's a resurrection. So that, that's kind of a, just a cool thing. Um, and it's amazing that Jesus comes to be baptized and yet he's without sin. Then there's the Father's voice, right? We, hear, we heard John the Baptist's voice. Then there's the Father's voice and, and um, there's this, this is the epiphany, okay? This is an epiphany for Jesus. This is an epiphany for the people. This is a aha moment, an epiphany for us today. That as Jesus was, had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and we see the Holy Spirit come in the form of a dove. Not a hawk, not a vulture, not a raven, or not a rat with wings. A dove, gentle, pure, um, I, I love this because um, the Holy Spirit is gentle. The Holy Spirit is like a dove, which is, you see up in the stained glass on the right-hand side, you see the, the tail of the dove is up top and then it's coming down, right? That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's not, you know, I grew up in a faith tradition where there was like a lot of like, you would come and get prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit and like you encountered violence. Anyone ever been pushed over? (laughs) No, not not like a raven, not like a hawk, not like a vulture, like a dove, gentle. When I was filled with the Holy Spirit, it was very gentle. No one was around, like a dove. And what's cool is just 
with our senses, we can see the Trinity here. We hear the voice of the Father, we see Jesus, the Son, and then we see the Holy Spirit. One of the times that we, um, where the Trinity is revealed, there's an epiphany of the Trinity here. It's kind of cool for you nerds. And uh, I'm a nerd, say it affectionately. Then there's the voice. What the Father says is, you are my beloved Son. With you, I'm well pleased. Other translations and other places say, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. That's how I memorized it. And what we should just note here, he hasn't done anything. Hasn't done anything. Public ministry hasn't started yet. He's lived what we think is 30 years in obscure isolation being a tecton, being, we call it a carpenter, but most likely a stonemason because the common building material in that area is stone, not wood. He was a builder, most likely general contractor. Think of the images he talks about, building your house on the rock, right? This is, Jesus was a builder, but he probably used stone more than wood. That's all he's done for 30 years, taking care of Mary, the widow, taking care of all of his brothers and sisters who are now orphans because Joseph has died. If Jesus has done anything at this point, the only thing he's done is work hard with his hands and put a roof over the head of Mary the widow and all of his orphaned brothers and sisters. And it should not surprise us that it's his brother James who tells us in, in James 1, 27, pure religion in the eyes of God the Father is this, to look after widows and orphans in their affliction while keeping yourself unstained from the world. Where do you think James, the brother of Jesus, got that? He saw his brother do it for 30 years. So if Jesus had done anything to please the Father, it was that. Looking after a widow, looking after orphans, in their affliction, not remote, keeping himself unstained from the world. That's what Jesus did. It's pretty cool that James, his brother, is the one who passes that on to us. And the Father says, without any public ministry, without the cross yet, without miracles, you're my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. We find that Jesus is fully human. He, he, um, he identifies to be baptized with us. And yet we find He's not like us at all. He's not like us at all. He's fully human, yet he's not like us. When, when you're baptized, usually you make a public confession of your faith. And, and there's always a confession that goes with baptism. I've never thought about this till this week. Jesus doesn't confess. He doesn't have anything to confess. But the Father confesses. The father confesses Jesus' innocence. When, when we get baptized, we, we confess our sins and confess our giving our life to Jesus. When Jesus got baptized, it was the reverse. The father confessed his innocence. Pretty cool. So I want to ask you, as we close, what posture will you take this epiphany season? As I mentioned, we have eight weeks, seven more, two months. And maybe that's too much for you, maybe just today. Will you take the posture of Grayson with the little bubble mower?
where you say, I can't stop looking at you. And I want to encourage you not to take the posture of the other Tory, where it's like, great, I like it, and then you throw it away and you get distracted, which is what we do sometimes with Jesus. Will you take Grayson's posture, this epiphany? And then specifically, will you confess your sins and repent? A couple of weeks ago, we had, you know, Chris Mungin was here, and we were talking about um, the crisis that, we're, that our church is going through. And, and in tears, uh, this, this, uh, our brother said just how he was reminded the importance of confessing your sins. Um, and we, which is why in every worship service, we have a time of confession. Um, or, uh, do you need to confess some things, this epiphany? The answer is yes. <laughs> Second, if you've been baptized, remember your baptism this season. Remember your baptism vows. Remember that you were crucified with Christ, you were buried with him, and you are resurrected with him. And if you haven't been baptized and you want to be baptized, or maybe you have a child and you want your child to be dedicated to the Lord, good news we now have a place where we can do this. There's a baptism back there above the TV. And if you go on our website or on the Sunday bulletin, there's a form and we'll be having our plans to have baptisms and dedications um, in the coming months. We'll try to we'll see what Rona does. But uh, we will have baptisms and dedications soon. And if you've never been baptized or you want to have your child dedicated, go to our website, fill out that form. We'll contact you with next steps to move forward. The last one, this epiphany just as the Holy Spirit was poured out on Christ. Don't we need more? Don't we need more these days? Receive the Holy Spirit as Jesus did. So, hope you'll take these, write them down. They're on the Sunday bulletin. You can grab them. Let's pray, and uh, we will come and celebrate Holy Communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your voice that breaks through the skies, that twists mighty oaks, that clears the way. And for that voice saying to Jesus, to everybody about him, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And thank you that for all who are in Christ Jesus, who have been buried with him and raised with him, that you say the same thing about us. We'll bring that from our head down into our gut. Lord, where we need encouragement in these days, give us encouragement. Where we need challenge in some grace and truth, would bring that to us. Jesus, we confess you, while you identified with us, you are not like us, and we are so grateful for that. 
We ask that you would pour out your spirit on every single person here, watching, listening, on our children, on our neighbors. We need more of you.